Hello and welcome to the 381st episode of the Craig and Crowbar, a podcast about PC gaming. And we're recording this on the evening of uh, September the 22nd. I'm newly 46 years old. Oh, Jesus. It's really bad. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm, I'm also Alex Wilshire, and tonight I'm joined by, oh, you're going to love this. We've got the return of Marsh Davies. Hello. <laughs> and who's a person who's not been with us for quite a few weeks now. It's only Tom Francis. Woo! I mean, hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream, really, isn't it? I, I keep pinching myself. <laughs> All right, you've laid it on so thick, and now kind of feels a bit pointed. <laughs> I just missed you both, that's all. Oh, thanks, man. Just imagine the, the fresh takes we're going to get tonight. Oh, good God. Mm. <laughs> uh, talking of takes... Um, uh, that was a funny noise from my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, um, Tom, uh, Tom, you had something to share about a game that I've forgotten the name of. And we Hooray. talked to you before the pod about the fact that we're finding it really hard to remember the name of yeah, this game. I already, I already got the name wrong, uh, like in between, um, thinking of it and then saying we should talk about it. <laughs> um, so for Axis, I'm making a Marvel themed XCOM like game and it is called midnight suns it's not called golden suns which we think might be the name of a fascist group um but they are golden (laughs) (laughs) um it's uh yeah it's a it was revealed a while back but we haven't done a um we haven't mentioned on the pod yet um and it's got a sort of somewhat mixed reaction probably from the XCOM hardcore uh because it has cards in it and so a lot of people are worried about um uh you know is it going to be a collectible card game is there going to be microtransactions and all this stuff um i think they've made some noises against that direction um but even so there's sort of a you know it's a pretty big departure from how xcom works where everything is is sort of uh you know what your options are going to be next turn as well as this turn um and i think the cool thing about it is that it's uh seems to go big on to, into knockback stuff so you are slamming people across the, the battlefield and it's got quite a sort of um uh, like fine grain system for positioning yourself and angling how you're going to slam someone into a certain piece of furniture hmm. um and you can sort of uh move around and consider what location to move to and see a preview of like who you'll catch in the blast of shrapnel when you do this big cone area of effect attack and that kind of stuff and plan out exactly how to sort of position that and I really like that. And that is very text... superhero, actually, given that superhero yeah. fights are essentially throwing each other into furniture and walls. Yeah, exactly. I'm a, I'm a big fan of knockback in general, but it's especially a good fit here. Um, and the effects for it just look really good. It looks really like has a lot of impact and um, uh, seems like it feels good. The cards thing, I think it's more about um, one of the problems with like designing abilities for a game like this because uh, i am designing abilities for, for a game like this myself um is you think of a cool idea and then you're like well why wouldn't they just do that every turn <laughs> and yeah you, one way to do that is to, is to make it cost mana and you've got a certain amount of mana but then it becomes like well why don't they do this every time they have mana um and so cards i think are probably a way around that problem where <laughs> just saying arbitrarily you can't have it <laughs> Yeah, just you'll you'll get it when you get it, and you'll be happy with it. <laughs> I mean, that is how like Slay the Spire and Monster Train work. There are obviously that 
they're, they're very carefully balanced games, but there are still cards that are just fucking brilliant. And if you got them every turn, the game would just be boring. Um, and so it's about, uh, you know, trying to uh, craft your deck in such a way that, that those are going to come up at the right time. But it's also got some other mechanics like, around that where like um, you're building some kind of, I don't know, is it hero points or something? Uh, and once you've got enough, then you can do some like ultimate abilities. I wasn't clear on whether you can always do that or if you have to wait the card, wait for the card to come up. Um, but yeah, again, that's another thing that just kind of adds, could add texture to the turns where like this turn is different to the next turn because on this turn, I'm still building up my hero meter and on the next turn, I'll get to unleash it, which I think is a, probably a good direction. Uh, the thing I'm not really excited about is fucking Marvel characters. <laughs> I like them. I like the movies. Um, but like stuff that's just sort of those characters, but it's not the movies. There's nothing that I'm interested in there. Like I didn't, I don't like the movies because of the, the source characters. I like the movies because they are usually a, um, uh, very polished, very, uh, heavily, what's the word? Uh, like a punch up pass in script writing where they've, they've had like three different pretty talented writers come in and just find every opportunity for a little joke that, uh, that will make a moment mm-hmm. land. That is what makes those movies entertaining to me. And when you just take those characters and you put them in the hands of, frankly, not that writing team, <laughs> like mm. the dialogue in the trailers has not been good. It's all really fallen flat for me. And I, like I say, I have no existing investment in these characters. In fact, I have a sort of anti-investment in these characters where I'd rather hear about a stranger than Doctor Strange. Um, or uh, who else? It's quite a, a, I don't really care about Blade. I don't really care about captain america i don't really care about like anyone in this really um and they keep stressing how how much of a story driven thing it is and how there's going to be hours of cutscenes. and oh no uh, i'm not i'm not excited about that part of it but don't you want to find out how they get their black and golden suits <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that ought to be a good one <laughs> did you guys see this trailer nope I managed to miss it as well. I, I think I was put off by, um, I, I was confused by card base. That should have made me want to watch the trailer because, um, <laughs> I wanted like a card based turn, turn, turn based, uh, from Firaxis. Mm. But I, I, yeah, I was put off by the Marvel. I just, yeah, I'm also utterly uninterested by them. And I think all on top of that, actually, I think it's been tainted weirdly by, um, by the, the Destiny like, um, Marvel game, Marvel Avengers. Um, cause I oh, haven't yeah. played that. Um, and I'm kind of recognizing that it's kind of put this pall over the games, you know, big attempts to make games about, you know, ensemble characters kind of doing stuff. It just, yeah, I don't know. Oddly enough. I mean, I, I don't have any in thing invested in any of it really. And I'm just, I'm kind of annoyed with myself for kind of being affected by <laughs> that really. Yeah. It's, it's sort of. We're definitely, we're past the era where these were like cheap cash-ins where they just sort of churn them out and hope the name would, would sell it. Like, it seems like Marvel's Avengers game, whatever it's called, was a major effort. You know, they put a lot, yeah. lot of weight behind it, but it's also kind of, from an outsider perspective, I, my impression is that it felt like a bit of a cynical yes. cash-in of just, what if Destiny plus, plus Marvel? Surely that would make money. <laughs> um, and I think that I think that's what I think that was operating fairly deep down was yeah um, you know what if what if Marvel and turn based strategy, um, which I, I'm not sure is is quite quite the seller quite the same kind of potential of seller but um, yeah mm. but then actually your description of it being about 
planning throwing people into things and i can see the car thing i don't I haven't actually played it if you played um tights in fight space tights in fights in tight <laughs> i can't be the first person to have done that it's where you wear tights in a boxing ring <laughs> <laughs> tights in fight play spaces uh, fights in tight spaces have you played that because that is a uh, turn-based game with cards right Yes, I played an early version of it, so I haven't played the one that I think it's it's fully out now, right? Yeah, I keep meaning to play it and um, just haven't got around uh, to it. Yeah, so I don't take take everything I say with a pinch of salt. Um, but it was I really liked the idea, and I, I was really um, uh, kind of into it. But at the the version I played, at least, um, if you wanted to move, you had to hope a move card came into your hand. Mm. So like really fundamental things were just not doable unless you got the card, and that I felt hamstrung by my deck by my by the deal of my um, of what I got dealt, uh, much more. I kind of wanted that to have uh, some basic things I could always do. Like you can always move and you can always do a couple of basic things, just so that you're never totally screwed. Because I had some turns, I'm just like, well, I just didn't get dealt anything that applies to the situation, so I guess I just uh, get screwed. But that that's the kind of thing that they may well have fixed since I last played. It, yeah, that does feel like a fundamental kind of misstep. There. But yeah, this. Uh, I mean, certainly looks like XCOM. Sorry. <laughs> Um, what the fuck's it called? <laughs> Midnight Suns. I'm literally looking at those <laughs> words on my screen and I still can't quite remember it. Uh, is that a name of some sort of bad bad group or something? Is that what it is? Uh, we thought fiction? that Golden Suns might be, right? Because that's oh, what okay. I misremembered it as first. Okay. okay. Um, uh, yeah, it looks like that does let you at least move without having the right card to move. <laughs> like the cards are just about attacks, I think. It'll be just a two two action affair, surely. Moving card, yeah. moving card. <laughs> Have you been enjoying the uh, the news of another Disney property slash tie in gaming related? Go on. Quantic Dream rumored to be making a Star Wars game. Oh mm. wow! And you've brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you're feeling about this um, this prospect, Marsh. Well, Marsh. You know, I, I think if there are two companies in the world who've dealt with the ethical ramifications of full body digital recreations of actual actors, um, then you know it's a good pairing. Uh, <laughs> in every other way, not a good pairing. Um, I don't know. I don't feel. Um, I'm not uh, as much of a headbanger for, for Star Wars as, as Chris is. Um, so I don't feel necessarily that protective of it as a, as a as a license, but you know I do wish that Quantic Dream would go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of of a Paul cast over something, um, like I quite enjoyed what's the Android one, Detroit, oh, yeah, um, Detroit, yeah. And I, in general, just like the the you know heavily branching stories and especially the way that they surface that and let you see the flowchart and you know really expose the um tell you what percentage of people went your way and, and other things uh, i find that really uh compelling but the all the stories about quantic dream and the the management there have really put me off ever playing their things again yeah definitely there's been sort of news rumbles that just this week actually about as the ongoing problem kind of with its you know, like the culture at a few years ago. I mean, that's what's been reported anyway. It's kind of rumbled out. I mean, I haven't played Detroit, but um, I thought Beyond Two Souls was terrible. 
I played, I think I've grumbled about it before. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to grumble about it before, but, but the, um, the one before that heavy rain, oh, made me angry. Like no game has ever made me angry <laughs> because I actually got really kind of sucked into it. And I think that it was just such a dishonest game with, with its, its, its internal structure and, and the way it told its story. Oh so angry i'll tell you i got that um i got that free with detroit i think uh somehow i Mm. just ended up with with owning it or maybe it was just mega cheap and i bought it or something because i was curious about it and i tried it and i was already finding it quite irritating um from the first few scenes and then I got as far as trying to brush my teeth and I realized what I actually had to do to brush my teeth. And I was like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> like, I actually failed brushing my teeth. And I was like, I'm not going to reattempt brushing my teeth. That's not where I am in my life. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that was a special time in games where where uh, new interaction techniques were like, wow, this is exciting. This is pushing the boundaries. I don't think it was, though. I think that's what uh, was so aggravating about the whole hoo-ha <laughs> about Quantic Dream is that they rocked up uh, sort of with the kind of sense that they were in some way saving gaming from itself and you know and the yeah. two ways they introduced that was narrative and qtes both of which <laughs> were like I mean, I mean a had been around for a long time but also there had been many better narratives than had been attempted by quantic dream who couldn't even tell like a, a sub midsummer murders pot boiler <laughs> properly it was i don't know a nightmarish <laughs> moment of the games industry sort of slavishly following their PR line and clapping along like they were trained seals rather than <laughs> interrogating their failures. <laughs> so that's, I'm looking forward to Star Wars then. Actually, I'm quite looking forward to this now. <laughs> but which, uh, which beloved Star Wars character are we going to see fully naked in the shower? Yes. Yeah. Hopefully Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> Is it black or red? <laughs> it's both. It's horny. <laughs> we get. Um, I did remember uh, with um, when the heavy rain came out. Someone, I think the code that we were sent for review, or it might have been a preview, but it's probably the review, um, uh, had a debug mode in it, and it had a free cam in the debug mode, and um, and there was an afternoon where where <laughs> um, the the shower was uh, for the main character, Ethan. Was he called Ethan? He's something like Ethan, wasn't yeah. he? It's the kind of game where there's going to be a male character They're called Ethan. They're all And yeah, he was he was never shown in the game, um, but um, he's, he was fully modelled with a, a winky and, and balls. <laughs> <laughs> Very delighted about that. Hey, um, Marsh, um, what have you been playing? I've been playing webbed, Alex. Hmm. Oh, webbed, nice. which is an absolute delightful physics puzzler platformer um, that I can still play on my somewhat potato of a, of a rig here. Um, and it, I, I've just fallen in love with it. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a tremendous, it's not that kind of uh, uh, ambitious or elaborate as, a, as kind of structurally as a game. It's just a, a, a 2D platformer. Um, but the the mechanics of being a spider bounding around and webbing onto things um 
are just so beautifully recognized that it's just a real pleasure just to muck around in for ages I, to the extent yeah. that i've actually almost got all of the achievements in it which is something i never wow. do in games just because i just enjoyed spending time there this um, is a very like tom tom will love this game actually yeah because yeah, yeah i mean and it's grappling hook adjacent isn't it it's very <laughs> grappling hook adjacent yeah i'm really interested I'd, I'd love you to play it uh so you can actually properly break down all of the sort of small uh affordances that they've given that mechanic behind the scenes because you know i'm you know from the from my perspective i can tell that it feels really good but i don't know exactly how they've tweaked the the amount of air control you have or the kind of feeling of elasticity as you mm. kind of grapple mm. on something because i think un unlike um floating point correct me if i'm wrong you don't uh, in floating point you don't gain momentum just by grappling onto something is that right like in, in this, uh, you're pulled towards your grapple point the second you, you fire a web. In floating point, not automatically. It's like if you, when you click the mouse button while you're holding it, you're pulling the rope in and that gives you momentum in the swing direction as well. Um, just as a natural consequence of the physics. And if you let go of the mouse, then your rope stops retracting. So right. you, you can do just a swing. Mm. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I, this, this feels very intuitive to me, even though actually on that basis, you have less control because as soon as you sling out a web, uh, rather than it just sort of anchors, it doesn't just anchor you to a like a fulcrum. It also draws you towards it. Mm. And I think there is also like an acceleration on the rate at which you're drawn towards it for the longer that you hold. Um, but for some reason, whatever, you know, magic has gone behind the scenes, that feels instantly intuitive. And you can do really complex things from the off where you're, you know, hitting an overhanging branch and slingshotting yourself past it and then twirling in midair and then webbing back over the branch to sort of zigzag up the canopy. Um, it feels really good. And the, uh, the animation is really gorgeous as well. There's a thing where you, if you sort of uh, switch direction midair, your little pixel art spider does this sort of lateral barrel roll where all his legs, or, or her legs rather, <laughs> sort of spin around. Uh, <laughs> it, it, look, it looks gorgeous. Um and it's just yeah, just it's, running from left to right it looks really good like it's beautiful feels lovely just running scuffling along the ground yeah i'm not generally you know a big spider guy <laughs> uh but uh, it makes it's really could have endeared me to spiders um and yeah it's good it's really it's really nice and the other thing about it is that it's it's not just um the whole web slinging thing isn't just for uh, a movement system it's also uh, sort of construction kit as well because you can fire um, you can fire grapple webs with the left mouse button but you can sort of fire um, another web with the right mouse button which allows you to anchor it to two other distant points so you sort of aim at your the first desired anchor point and then you hold down the right mouse button and you can drag a web between that and some other point um, and you can sort of you do this to uh, do the things that you would expect webs to do like create plats platforms for you to scuttle up or or to catch fruit flies or to actually just you know web up objects that you want to then lift and move elsewhere um and it also helps you to get to places you can get to you know uh, you can sort of fire yourself like the arrow from a bow so you sort of web across two points above you uh like the string of a bow and then grapple up to it and then twang past it and it's just, <laughs> it's just fantastic <laughs> oh wow it just feels really nice um for a large section of the game, which was actually the, the first section I explored out of the three sort of main possible directions you can go at the start, you're, you're basically working out how to lift and transport heavy objects by suspending them in webs. 
um, or attaching them to things that you can move with levers, um, which, you know, you're in an mm. ant's nest. And of course, ants are replete with, with mechanisms like levers. Um, and it's really, it's sort of, it is a little bit finicky because you're at the mercy of this slightly fickle physics system. But on the whole, I think it's just a, a really uh, cool use of the same mechanics that they use and exploit for, for movement. They do sort of run out of ways to expand on those puzzles and the other two sections of the game sort of almost completely abandon puzzling, uh, weirdly, in favor of just platforming, um, which is sort of a surprise, uh, especially if you did the puzzly part first, because then, you know, I expected it to be all of that. And suddenly there's it, you just it's no more puzzles. It's just moving from screen to screen in, in elegant ways. I was kind of sort of like disappointed by that at first, but then I got better and better at sort of like slinging myself around and, you know, the movement mechanics sort of made up for it and. Um, it's not at all challenging like the the platforming isn't hard in itself and also there's a hugely forgiving respawn system where you just pop back to whatever ledge you just threw yourself off um uh which i wholeheartedly appreciate because i'm i'm shit at games um <laughs> yeah well sorry what are you going to say tom i yeah i'm really curious to see uh how the elasticity feels because i remember um uh, when I was trying to make a grappling hook game, I looked into Unity assets that that would just have a rope system already built that I could use. And I rejected all of them because all of them had some kind of elasticity in them and I didn't want any uh, for the game I was making. Um, because uh, I was trying to think about preserving momentum where, I mean, it sounds like Webbed is not really about sort of grappling onto something and then doing a long arcing swing and sort of keeping it going. More about sort of using it as a... As a uh, you know, brief thing to propel you somewhere. Um, And if you have elasticity on that, the curve that you describe is, is quite bouncy and jiggly and weird. Um, And I wanted it to be nice and smooth, you know, floating point ended up being Mm. about describing these arcs in space. And we give you a trail so that you can kind of see the patterns you're making. And um, those only look good if there's zero elasticity and every rope system I, I tried had some kind of give in it. And so I ended up just writing my own because it was the only way I could find to just have no elasticity whatsoever. But it is like bouncy stuff is fun. <laughs> it's the counterpoint to that. <laughs> yeah. You're missing out on quite an important thing though, Martian. What's that? It's got a laser. Oh yeah. What? Yeah. I- <laughs> Oh yeah, well, obviously it's got a laser. You are a spider, after all. Uh, and that's—I also didn't mention the skateboarding section. Uh, I did know about the skateboard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the, the laser is obviously sort, presumably an afterthought that they added, so that you can snip cables that you've created, yeah. so that you don't end up with just an unma- unmanageable mess of webbing. Oh right. Um, it's there's no real combat in the game. The, the lasers are used aggressively. I think at just one point uh in the entire game um but it's it, you, you don't fight anything uh you can eat fruit flies um but that's that's the extent of the your your uh, role as a, a predator of the undergrowth um it's quite cute i do wish it had like a mega web though because sometimes when you're trying to lift like a heavy object uh, you just have to fire like 50 webs. <laughs> I was going to ask you, yeah, because this is the thing I've stumbled on. Like, you know, that that has been my solution too. And I keep thinking there must be a better solution to raising heavy things in the air with webs. And I, haven't I don't it. know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of sort of like, um, uh, what's, what's the phrase? Something of life. 
uh, they say in in um, in like software design, care of life decisions, quality of life, Qual- quality of life, <laughs> quality of life. There you go. <laughs> well, that was so hard for me to reach. Yeah, there was quite a lot of quality of life things that I think could be finessed in the game like i don't think it uh it's made up it's not just like a single contiguous space it's made up of discrete sort of level chunks um and how those levels connect together is um not consistent for one thing but also not necessarily directly consistent with their how they're marked uh, on the map that you get Mm. um and if you want to find everything it's it just becomes quite frustrating i mean you can certain level chunks you can transition between by falling out of the bottom of one and into the top of another other times it'll just kill you doing that um and that's that feels like i mean whether they could uh change that easily i don't i don't imagine but they could probably show you on the map the different connections between the different level chunks um uh, and maybe even you know some sort of fast travel because by the time you're just trying to hoover up achievements, it it feels a little laborious to go from uh, you know one end of the entire environment to another just to find the, the fruit fly that you've missed. Um, but yeah, in general, I I, I just yeah, it's, it's a fantastic game, really nice. Exactly the size of game that I wanted to play at this moment in time as well. Hmm. It's made in Game Maker as well. Is it? Being Is it? the second the second um, Tom adjacent thing. <laughs> that's awesome um and yeah. i mean it doesn't it does i mean this is an indictment of, of um of i mean it's not an indictment of um of game maker at all but in the same way that um heat signature you kind of go what this was made in game maker this feels a bit like that as well because it feels <laughs> so refined and you know uh of itself you know it, it feels like it's um unique you know built specifically for purpose right yeah yeah game maker is pretty good it is um i remember hearing that i don't know if this is one particular kind of spider or spiders in general but if they find an abandoned web they'll move into it but then they'll also completely deconstruct it and rebuild a new one in the same place (laughs) which (laughs) makes me i I love to imagine them like like electricians like every electrician i ever had in in the uk (laughs) would Take a look at what the last guy had done and be like, no, 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 no. This, they've made a complete pig zero of this. I'm going to have to have all of this out. Start again. <laughs> Just imagine little spiders going around like, you call these concentric? What are you thinking? This is nonsense. <laughs> this is all going to have to come down. I don't know if this, the particular kind of spider in this actually makes webs in reality. I think it's because it's a jumping spider, isn't it? Don't they eat other spiders? So they don't necessarily need <laughs> webs to catch. Well, a, a web could be good for that too. They wait for the spider to move in as he's <laughs> renovating. <laughs> <Right>. Pounce. <laughs> I think that it's, I don't think it's necessarily good. They've glossed over the uh, the violent side of spiders in this. You know, I'm all for you know supporting spiders. I love spiders, but um, you know. Have you guys uh, read Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky? No, no. Oh, it's a really, really good sci-fi novel. Uh, and it, the premise is that um, the sort of the last surviving humans have attempted to recreate evolution on another planet by seeding it with Earth life forms and then spreading a sort of virus which accelerates the development uh, of the species along certain uh, evolutionary lines. Um, but it goes slightly right because all the monkeys burn up in orbit and leaving <laughs> uh, leaving spiders to fill the gap. Um, and and the book is uh, sequel is all just sort of about finding 
finding empathy really with creatures that are superficially horrific <laughs> um, <laughs> and don't necessarily think like us at all. But it's yeah, it's it's about exploring the ways that other creatures think, um, and the the sequels that do that in other different ways as well. Really, that pretty cool. Books. Yeah, nice. Nothing to do with this apart from the spiders, but yeah. <laughs> what have you been playing, Alex? Been playing um, a Warhammer game, Warhammer computer game called um, uh, Battle Sector, um, which is the blandest name, <laughs> the, the very blandest name. Again, Battlefield you know, was taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it kind of looks a bit bland as well. But um, this is very it's a very good warham uh tempo strategy um in the sense that sort of it, i think it really captures uh um the table-based turn-based strategy without actually slavishly following any of the you know the the full warhammer forty thousand um rule set or anything like that but it just captures the way that you think on the tabletop and 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 what the units do and what armies how they how they work and that kind of thing and i've been having a pretty good time with it um it's by slytherin um and it uh has a story mode i get one of the things i like about it is that um it has spent all of its you know reason you know it reasonably small budget i imagine you know it, it's a polished game and um they spent its budget in just the right places. So for example, it doesn't have um, massive great cutscenes um, all over the place and during the story um, telling bits and, and so on. It's just one really good piece of Warham art um, painted with v- epic scenes of, of war um, with a well, a good sort of British kind of Warham man sort of <laughs> doing Warham words kind of over the top of it. Um, talking about kind of duty and, and stuff like that and how bad tyrannid bugs are and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, uh, and it's just, you know, those two, th- that art and that voiceover are done really well and they've, they spent their money very well. They haven't tried to stretch it and do something any more ambitious than that. And it's, I really appreciate that. And that, I think that stretches to the, stretches to the, the strategy as well. I mean, this is really quite difficult to kind of isolate anything particularly novel about its turn-based strategy. Um, it's a turn-based strategy in which you have your turn and then the enemy has its turn. The enemy in this are tyrannies and if you're playing the campaign anyway and the goodies what you are playing are blood angel um, space marines um uh in multiplayer you can you know uh, opponents can be uh the tyrannids but in this campaign you only play as the as the, the blood angels um uh and you have uh two i think it's two actions you can make um on a turn it's just you know pretty basic stuff but somehow captures like some of the scale of um of of warham in the sense that um uh a unit in this game is a kind of cohort of uh of of, of soldiers um of, of space marines so and i think they pretty much follow the number of of uh, unit of, of models that would be in a squad in a in a, a unit in the get in the tabletop game as well um and when they fire they shoot loads and loads of bullets and the Tyranids are in kind of swarms of like, you know, 10, 20 of them in a unit. And so when they, when you do a simple single attack against a, a unit, 
you just see a lot of gratifying death every time. <laughs> but the amount of health that's gone down of the unit is is kind of what you'd expect of a turn-based game. You know, things generally have survival rates of what you'd expect in most games. You know, if you use an effective weapon, you might be able to wipe out a squad. Others, you'll just whittle them down. And that, but but because of the level of kind of epic sort of killing and blood that occurs, it's just really satisfying every time. Yeah. Um, and you know, which means that, and also they've they put loads of attention into the way that, that kind of the bullets work. So if you're uh, you've got a, a group of intercessors, intercessors are the pretty standard space marines. They've got bolt rifles. They are you know jack of all trades, just sort of not particularly good at anything, um, but but effective in a lot of things. And um, uh, and even these would, which would in most turn-based strategies, not be that exciting to fling around. Uh, it's a game in which you can engineer situations where they are good. There are uh, abilities you can pop on them, which enhance their abilities. Um, it's very interested, this game, in range. Like your weapons have uh, specific ranges at which they are most potent or at least most likely to hit um, uh, their uh, targets. And in this, uh, it does f- uh, render, um, you know, it does calculate... Um, uh, line of sight stuff so you'll see your bullets actually striking bits of scenery and things and you know i'm sure well it is it is all calculated on on uh, probabilities but it shows you stuff that's happening and it usually hmm. uh you know the percentages usually have really very much reflect what's going on if you're shooting uphill for examples or whether there's a wall nearby and that kind of thing it it things just seem to make a lot of sense very physicalized even even though it's all all about stats and that's been really good as well um units uh and there's there's things like aggressors aggressors are these kind of particularly rotund uh, uh space marines with these kind of massive gauntlets in which they're a very close range very very fast shooting uh machine guns and they are so good when you can put, when you can use them effectively and you know and you'll find i found myself just naturally getting them to the front you know they've got various abilities which means that they can reduce you know avoid much damage and they have more health points and that kind of thing um and but the, but the but you know you get them into close range and they mince through a lot of stuff and that's just oh it's just feels so good um <laughs> and you know the units that you get are kind of you know they've all got very good clearly defined roles you know, some of them are really good movement because they are vehicles and they zoom around scouting for you and they, they can hold their own in a gunfight. It, it works really well. The levels are really good as well. Um, uh, they're quite, you know, they are very pre-planned, but they, they're they just rich in in setting. So, you know, you're often, so for example, there was one where um, uh, you're coming in from the outside uh, into an area of level you've got to get to this point which is behind this great big bit of rock through which there is a single square route or you can go around the edge in this game you can't move units through each other so you get easily jammed you know jammed up in, in between stuff and that's something to consider as well as you move stuff around and then go into the area and then there's this kind of temple thing which you've got to get one particular unit to do something in and then you've got a great big attack of of uh of um of tyranids as they're performing that act and throughout none of you know you're kind of expecting every stage but 
it spawns enemies in really interesting ways, often behind you. So you've always got to be looking behind you. It's got line of sight. Uh, it's sort of a uh, fog of war um, uh, in it so that you've got to be looking around. Um, uh, and that that's, makes the levels interesting to play because while you are expecting what's going to happen, you also know you've got to be on your guard. And it, it often just pops enemies out of places where it's ex- interesting to have them. That's a planned thing to say. <laughs> awesome. It was good. It was just good. Uh, the thing about making the combat satisfying is good to hear because as much as I love Dawn of War, there, it did kind of feel like... I think Dawn of War was the first like Warhammer digital game I'd played and I had grown up with the, the figurines and just picturing these battles in my head and then seeing them Dawn of War as, as visually lush as it was and as cool as all the models were there was a lot of just like two squads standing spraying fire at each other for quite a long time before yeah, anybody yeah. died or anything visible really happened yeah and in this one you know you you lose you you know like the the, the health is modeled by um, well, each each model within a unit. So you know, like in the intercessors, was it five or ten of them? Can't remember. Anyway, um, they all have individual health in them, and the ones standing at the front will take damage from damage that's coming from that direction. And once a model is gone, they're not going to be contributing their fire to the attack the next tractor right. will take. So actually. There is it, it, everything kind of makes sense in that way. Like the, the 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 extent to which you can actually control that, you know, by facing them differently, I wouldn't say I've actually employed or particularly investigated, but I do care about losing my, of, of individual um, sort of individuals in in units because yeah, it, it affects the game. And also, well, I should that leads on to a point I'm going to come in later on actually. But, um, um, but yeah, it, uh, actually not going to it right now because there are some really weird missteps yeah. in this game. Because um, so it, Warhammer is a game in which you know it, the tabletop game is a game in which you paint units, you know, you paint models, you put them on the table, you have so much invested in them, they cost so much money. But then you put hours of painting into them, and you really care when when you put it onto the table for the first time, and your friend just kills it in turn one <laughs> you are invested in this fucking thing and it's failed you and it it can be really upsetting and i was expecting that to pull through to this game um it's particularly as i said you, like you're seeing units die like models die and i fully expect it the first time i lost um uh, a full unit um that that the, the game would mark it in some kind of way, or at least, you know, if, if they were, you know, would they come back half strength or, um, because the, the, the game does actually, um, tally up how many levels you've used a, a unit in. Um, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't mark it at all. And in fact, in between levels, you just, you have this interface where you can, um, buy well, ostensibly buy new units for your army. And there's a, there's, there's a cap, there's a, a value cap, or is it a number of units cap? I can't remember which, but there's a cap of how many units you can have in your overall army roster that you can pick for, for, for the next battle. But none of it costs any money at all. So you can freely delete stuff, units out of your army and put new units, new units into your army. And it means nothing other than the fact you've lost this little Rosetta's that against their um their their UI um it they don't earn um XP they don't earn 
uh, any battle kind of no no other details about them um it's really strange um and it means that it, everything's actually a lot more weightless than you think you can actually have your army decimated in a game um you can play really badly end up winning and it means absolutely nothing in terms of the campaign which is odd it feels like this game would actually want you to invest you in that stuff and there are lots of ways to play the top, tabletop game in which you know campaigns do have an effect on on your overall army and you are buying and selling stuff and they are leveling up in some ways on you know in you know as you're kind of using paper and things it's a really odd thing to to leave out and there are lots of little yeah. bits and pieces where like your uh um you don't know what you what, what uh, kind of how many points the army is that you can take into the next level you know it's bad enough that you don't really know what the threat is but when you don't even know how many points your army can be before you actually click you know next battle you then have to go come back out of the you know that into the back to the main menu in order to then to to change your army up so that it's the right number of points it's oh, really? very odd it, it just seems sort of very obvious. I was, I was actually, I hadn't played it for a couple of weeks actually. And I was kind of thinking, ah, oh, I better check that this stuff is still true. They've only updated it once. And that was back in um, August, only a couple of weeks after it came out. It hasn't been looked at at all. So that's really, really strange. But the fact is that during a battle, you kind of forget all that because you send in your um, captain, your space marine captain, who has a chainsword. Um, and a jump pack and you just jump him into the middle of some enemies and you use your chainsaw on them. And, you know, he has two attacks and he's slicing through them. It feels so good. Oh man. <laughs> and then when this, like an exocrine, which is a vast tyranid kind of four legged thing that sort of shoots things out of a sphincter that's kind of like <laughs> on the front of this horn on the front of his head. Um, and it's sort of decimating kind of units and you're terrified about what it's going to do and then you take it down and ah, oh, it's those moments are real good and i think that's this this game i think that the weird missteps are they're weird because so much of it has got dead right and it feels they're so kind of arbitrary and kind of seem easy to fix but um yeah i recommend it it is called have you, battle sector have you played as the tyranids i haven't i've you've got to play in multiplayer for it um uh the, How can you the do skirmish against the ai that's a very good point. I haven't even tried. I've just been playing on the, the campaign. Uh, the, the Tyranids, so the, 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 the army flavors are that the, um, Blood Angels have a thing which is straight from the, the kind of the lore of the game called, what's it called? It's called, um, uh, I wrote it down and I'm trying to find it. They have this, the blood rage, I think it's called red thirst. That's it. In the, in, in the, of in the do. law. Do you know, do you know what the, the, what it, what, what this is in the law? Nope. So the, the dad, the dad of the blood angels, um, sanguineous, blood dad, blood dad sanguineous. Um, he died, um, 10,000 years before the, um, the events of this game. Uh, um, uh, defending the emperor against all the bad chaos space marines. Um, and, uh, and his, because he was psychically active, um, his death, uh, created such a psychic wave of anguish that 10,000 years later, um, all the, 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 um, all of his, his kind of children, all of his space marines, um, will succumb at some point in their life to the, to the, 
to the red thirst, which sort of they go crazy. They they can see, they experience <laughs> his death in first person in you know in their minds and go must crazy. Must have been a bad one. And uh, and lose control of themselves and 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 go into this kind of bloodlust, trying to kill everything. Mm. Anyway, you got to deal with this. And they apparently in the game later on they they start doing this. And in this game, you got to keep killing stuff. You got to keep killing stuff to keep this momentum up. And once you fill a gauge, you can make these special actions. Um, the Tyranids, by contrast, have um, a rendition of what's called Synapse. And in the tabletop game, it means that there are certain models which have Synapse abilities and everything within a certain range of them uh, is given extra abilities by being close by them because they're psychically active as well. And in this game, it's, it's, it does that in some way. Um, which is, you know, flavorful, simply done, um, but effective for that. And, um, yeah, just another good use of, of the Warham thing. Yeah. I, um, I asked because, well, A, I like skirmish modes in general. Um, but also B, I'm on the side of the aliens. <laughs> I don't want to be the space <laughs> marines. I want to kill the space marines. I want to coat them in weird acid from my horn sphincter. Does uh, does that mean that whenever you you don't relish the idea of every time you select um, your space marines, them shouting uh, things like "Always ready, always vigilant," and, <laughs> we will fall upon them with righteous fury and <laughs> victory for the Bloodblades, yeah. victory for Skyfall. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that many many times. The uh, <laughs> the official blurb does. I just find this like such a um, such a bore. Uh, help help Sergeant Carlian and his allies purge the tyrannid infestation on Baal Secundus and preserve the honor of the noble blood angels. And it's like, I know like once you actually yeah. um, get into the fiction of Warham, you realize that the, the empire are the bad guys or one of the many bad guys, <laughs> just another bad guy. But the, all the, all the PR fluff is always just completely sort of straight faced and takes it at face value. Yeah. I do really struggle with um, the, yeah, the, it has these two heads, like the, the the whole Warhammer thing has these very, very two distinct heads where you're invited to f- see the, the Space Marines as incredibly honorable uh, men who who strive for the good of humanity or the future of humanity. Um, and you kind of get behind them for their righteous kind of uh, thing. And also, <laughs> there's base Nazis. So I don't know, if you know. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, but um, yeah, good game. It does look like from the Steam Store's page description, it lists skirmish mode separately from multiplayer. So I assume that does mean there's AI. I yeah, it would make sense, and and you know, yeah, obviously the campaign has multi as that as has that um as an AI. So I would be surprised if it was in. I should have investigated, and I failed. <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> Tom. Oh, it does. It does have such a glorious blandness to the the name, like, Battle Sector. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. see that the subtitle is also Unleash Destruction, which is. Oh, just, I didn't realize like, you had a oh, God. Fight place, do wars, <laughs> do a war on a place. <laughs> well, talking of doing war in a place, mm. that's the perfect, <laughs> wow, segue. incredible! There was a commonality. <laughs> Uh, you've been playing Deathloop, haven't you, Tom? <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, arguably, it's not really a war, uh, but, but there sure is a place. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, this is the the new game from Arcane that um, is set in a time loop 
and is in some ways very dishonored and in some ways completely undishonored. Um, so it's still somewhat stealthy, um, but it has a much greater emphasis on just fucking killing people. Um, they never has a developer listened so hard to a single criticism than Arcane have listened to the um, people's objections to having to to being guilted for killing people in Dishonored. Like yeah. um, that was a became sort of the pre- prevalent complaint about Dishonored, um, and Deathloop has just lent completely in the other direction. Like, fine, okay, we want you to kill everybody. <laughs> like they are all disposable; they will all respawn tomorrow anyway. So, uh, a you can murder everybody in the level. F- uh, freely there are no civilians everyone is a combatant everyone has a gun therefore there deserves to die um and also your actual primary objective is to kill just eight specific people like you must kill them there's no way to not not kill them um so yeah they've they've uh, they've completely addressed the problem <laughs> you don't feel bad about using any uh, gadgets there is i did actually notice so yeah it's the point stands that they are incredibly non-judgmental about killing people killing people in this game and they kind of want you to do it uh there is actually an achievement i just noticed for only killing the um uh the visionaries or the, the targets that you're actually after uh, these eight people uh if you only kill the visionary and, and you get out without killing any other um cultists then there is an achievement for that but that seems to be just a thing you do once like once you've got the achievement for that there's no further incentive to ever do it again um and yeah just just in general it's incredibly um blase about human life and your character gleefully like butchers people with a machete as his standard takedown um and even if you don't have your machete out and you you um uh like you can still do a takedown and you'll do it with your bare hands but you still kill them (laughs) you still snap their neck and sure they're actually dead um so that's i have pretty mixed feelings on actually because um uh i think it illustrates pretty clearly why there used to be a distinction between non-lethal and lethal like why that was an interesting thing to do because if you can just kill everybody um there isn't a lot of reason not to and there is a mission in this um so your goal is to kill all eight of these visionaries and there are four different regions in the game they're basically levels they're they're large dishonored levels um but I, I had a friend who, who bought this game and was disappointed because he was imagining like a Far Cry kind of open world thing. And it's not that. It, it is four large levels. Um, but each loop, you choose which to visit in which order. Um, and there's just a you know morning, noon, afternoon, and night uh, phases of the day. And whichever you choose to go first, you're there in the morning. And if you went there in the afternoon, some things might be different. Uh, some places you just can't visit at certain times of day. Like you can't visit Fristred Rock in the evening for example i don't know if that's actually true but but that kind of thing uh just because they don't have anything for you to do there so (laughs) you just can't do it um (laughs) well uh but the the thing to say about it about the time structure is that it's not actual time like you can spend as long as you like in each segment and it won't progress time until you leave the segment or you die um so if you if there's something you if you've got to catch a visionary in the morning uh just choose that area first and you've got him like he can't escape time will not progress um you there's no time pressure in that in that sense and what I you're trying a, to do is sorry sorry go can, ahead. I, can i ask a question about that because um yeah while the while the overall time of the the day doesn't advance yeah. does time within the level advance in a way which does add pressure like is there a clockwork thing going on within a level at a certain time of day where characters are going to move from one part of it to another and certain things are going to become unavailable during the course of your playing it uh no not as far as i've seen and i've i have 
blundered every assassination in some way. <laughs> like, because uh, the th- first thing I thought was like, if I if I fire a gun here, does that mean he, the target's going to hear and leave the level? And no, that has not happened at all. Um, and I've created all the, all the alarms I possibly could. <laughs> um, and there are hitman like opportunities. So um, there's this there's a party level that is just a sort of perfect mishmash of the Lady Boyle assassination from Dishonored and a hitman level where it's a very large masquerade ball and the target is wearing the same mask as everyone else so you don't know who it is um and there are several hitman like opportunities where you you learn i won't say what they are but um you learn that the target likes x and then you know where x is and so if you somehow sort of bring x to the party that uh the target will react to that and no one else will and so that that would be your way of of identifying him um but it feels very out of place to me because Hitman is a game in which you dress up in a disguise and the Lady Ball mission Dishonored, you had an invite, you were, allowed, you were wearing a mask yourself so you could show up. This game, you have no cover. Like everyone is hostile to you on site. So you can't go to the party. You have to just like lurk in the rafters and stuff. And so you can technically do these things, but it's kind of like, why? Why don't I just kill them all? <laughs> like there's no penalty for killing people. Um, you know, it's not, not frowned upon. They'll all respawn tomorrow anyway. Um, and it doesn't seem worth it to try and because to trigger these opportunities, you really have to kind of go into the crowd, kind of like they're, I mean, not literally, but they're just, they're very close to the very highly populated areas. And, uh, it just seems like a weird fit. It feels like those, those leads were designed for a Hitman game. And then they made a game where everyone is hostile to you at all times. And actually, I mean, uh, in the bad old days of Hitman, there were quite a lot of missions where everyone's hostile to you the whole time. There wasn't like safe areas. You, you had to, um, uh, at least get hold of a disguise, and then often even that wasn't very practical. Um, and Hitman, you know, grew on for that. They realized that doesn't work. We should always have, you know, you should always be safe when the level starts, and you should always be able to walk around and scope things out um, uh, by yourself. Um, that's not to say that that level is doesn't work. Um, it's just a weird fit. The, the thing that I keep finding is that um, that so a you're allowed to kill anybody but also b you have guns and uh there are some good silence weapons that you get pretty early on there's one you're just you ha- it's handed to you on a plate there's another one that uh you get from a certain visionary and i think everyone i know who's playing this game has happened to go for that visionary first i think it kind of pushes you in that in that direction and it gives you a very good uh rapid fire silenced weapon and so i basically just headshot everyone with that forever because it has Dishonored's level design where there's always a higher layer to every area, every space. There's always a rafter. There's always a lampshade. There's always a um, uh, a little vent line running along the, near the ceiling that you can blink up to. Um, and from there, if you headshot someone with a silenced weapon, the enemy still don't know where you are, even if they see it happen. They'll go into like mm-hmm. a, a more alert mode where they'll start looking around. And I imagine if you just stay out in the open continually shooting them they'd eventually spot you but it's incredibly easy just to duck behind a corner after that wait for them to cool down for a second then come out and do it again and you know i'm i'm getting more and more cocky with that so i'm I'm killing three or four of them without hiding then hiding for a little bit for the rest of them to cool down and doing that over and over again and that seems to just work what i have heard and i haven't experienced this yet myself is um as you get closer to your um to perfecting your run you're trying to manipulate these um visionaries so that they'll be in the right place at the right time that you can kill all eight in one run 
because there's only four sections of the day and there are eight visionaries to kill. Most of them are not together at, uh, by default. They're all from their own little places. Um, so you have to find ways to get them in the same place at the same time. Um, and uh, apparently after you've killed a visionary, the next segment of the day, the guards will be uh, more aggressive and have uh, new tactics and throw grenades and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that applies to them spotting you more easily and things like that, but I've heard that's how that's where the difficulty gets led on. Um, but my problem isn't that it's too easy so much; it's just that there's no reason to vary my tactic. I should always have the science weapon. I should always sit in the rafters. I should always just snipe people in the head, and it's somewhat satisfying to do that. I remember, so I think Machine Games were involved in this as well, and, and the Wolfenstein, uh, the recent Wolfenstein games, you could play in a stealth, stealthy way for those, and it wasn't interesting but it was continually satisfying. I could go through the whole game as stealth wherever it would let me and I'd just do the same thing over and over again and it always felt good. Deathloop for me like pushes the boundary of how repetitive I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to go because that, that party, I uh, uh, must have spent like an hour and a half cleaning it out, just killing every single person in this in this stealthy way. Um, and uh, actually the other thing to say is that uh, if you do screw up, if someone does spot you, then there's no quick save, no quick load. You are you just have to deal with it, and uh, that sort of again feels like a in dialogue with the response to Dishonored, which is a lot of people uh, will say, "Oh, the game's actually much more fun if you roll with your failures and you don't just quick load all the time." And then a lot of other people will say, "Okay, but I'm still going to quick load all the time," <laughs> uh, including me. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, like there's the slow plodding shoot everyone from the rafters with a silenced weapon thing. And then if you do screw up, uh, there isn't really a reason not to just mow everyone down as they come for you. And the spaces are generous enough to the player that you can always find some nook or cranny that the AI doesn't really know how to, you know, it can't surround you. It can't come in from multiple entrances. And so then they just walk in one by one and you mow them all down with a machine gun. Um, so again, it's kind of a, a degenerate uh, tactic where it, you just do the same thing and it, and it basically always works. Um, so that doesn't really feel like rolling with the failures pays off. Um, and both methods just take a long time. The part of it that does work uh, is the the sort of investigation process of finding clues and then realizing, oh, what I could do next time is this. And if I do that, the two these two people will meet together at this place at this time. And then I can go there and kill them both at the same time. Um, and there's a good drip feed of of uh, stuff along those lines. I have only, for the longest time, I've just had five threads. It keeps track of all the information you've learned in a very, very accessible way, um, uh, which is nice. Uh, like, I think it's better than Hitman in that way. And it distills everything down to just, here's what you actually need to know um, and what's going to happen and where you should go at what time. Um yeah, and I've had five of those threads going for for a while, uh, and I know there's eight visionaries, so it was becoming conspicuous that I just don't know anything about the other three, and I've just now stumbled on some clues for those, so um, that's that's going to open up again now, and I'll have three more leads to, to investigate each time I start a loop. Roughly how long have you played up until now? Um, must be at least six hours, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, something in that region. And I'm still kind of tinkering around. I'm not really going for it yet. I still, you know, like I say, I've only just started uh, getting any clues at all about the other three visionaries. So I wouldn't know how to go about killing them yet. Um, that there's, 
a thing. I don't know. It, like that, that investigation process gets its hooks into you and it's really fun when you, um, at the end of each day, you kind of know which opportunities you didn't take. You know, you already have some ideas of, of, uh, what you'll do next time. Like, for example, first thing in the morning, there's one place you can go that, uh, once you've figured out something there, you can use that place to unlock locations in other locations. So little rooms and passageways, uh, in every other area in the game. And so if you want to access any of those, you must go to that place in the morning. But there's also a target that can only be hit in the morning. And so you can't do both of those things in one run. And so last run, I did the unlock these areas thing. And so uh, when I played last night, I was really excited to start a new day and go to the uh, the visionary in the morning who I had tried to kill her before and I wasn't, I was under equipped and I didn't know how gas worked. <laughs> and so I died. <laughs> um, and this time I have much better equipment and I know what I'm doing more. And, um, I also found a whole new route to get to her, which was cool, but also not super well supported. <laughs> so, uh, she's in a big hangar and I found I could get on, I found a way to get up to the roof of the hangar, possibly because of new abilities I have. I can't remember what abilities I had the first time I did this. Um, and kind of picked people off through the roof. Like it's a big corrugated iron roof and there's these, there's skylights that have been, like covered up with bits of corrugated metal that is not quite flush with the frame. So there's little gaps. And so you can peer in through those. And I was uh, trying to kill people through those. Although the, when I first did that, like the level didn't load in inside. It was sort of like this weird half level where everything was in the, <laughs> the low level of detail. And it seemed like it didn't expect me to go there, to, you know, to be there and to be, to have a line of sight at this point. Um, but then that seemed to resolve itself and I was able to just pick off a bunch of enemies. And then at one point I just kind of died from doing that. <laughs> and I think I was like, uh, this is one that had like a pane of glass in it and I'd broken that. And I think like a piece of glass had got like wedged between me and the roof. And I think just physics killed me. <laughs> it just like didn't, couldn't quite deal with some of the geometry. Um, so yeah, it, 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 sometimes I feel like I'm doing the arcane thing and like I'm supposed to be finding sneaky ways and getting up as high as possible and, and doing it. And other times it feels like the game wasn't ready for me to do that. It didn't know I would, um, I would be here and, and can't handle it that well. Hmm. I'm interested to hear you say that the the whole clue gathering information game stuff has got you got its hooks in you because I'm, I'm I'm really struggling with that and that's the thought, the part of the game I thought would you know on Arcane's previous history be the the strongest suit for them but like I'm finding a lot of the information gathering stuff to, feels pretty arbitrary to the extent that like coal seems to pick up clues in levels that I just had had no conscious awareness that I had imbibed. Like, you know, um, I don't know if it, that's just like a bug, like the information is unlocking prematurely, but I suspect the game was written by people who didn't successfully sort of put themselves in the shoes of a naive player to some extent. Like they throw loads and loads of um, jargon at you about the sort of the sci-fi terminology and, uh, you know, abstract concepts. I've heard the word Aeon like twice as far as I know, but Cole has basically compiled a dossier on this organization. <laughs> I didn't even know it was an organization. <laughs> like, um, there's stuff, weird stuff like it, it flags up which, um, visionaries are in which place on, in the menu that you return to between missions. Mm. Um, and does it with a headshot, but it doesn't say who they are anywhere. 
And like, I yeah. don't, I don't know what these people look like. I'm a new player. Like, <laughs> I mean, in in Cole's hand, I think there are pictures of them and descriptions of them in in um, Cole's hideout. Yes, which you don't have access to when you're in the interstitial menu right. between missions. I see. Yeah. So I'd need to load, do a mission, go into there, screenshot it, hold <laughs> tab to that. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, it's just stuff like that. I feel, I feel is. I mean, I, yeah, I feel it's not just me. I feel like this stuff there is. It's, it's difficult to. No, nah. it's it's not. Um, it's no Outer Wilds and it's no Oberdin um, on that scale because it's it's trying to do. It's trying to be a whole dishonored game as well as that. Um, and yeah, I have found uh, some of that stuff disappointing where the information I get is just a, a combination to a safe. And then inside that safe, there's just a password. And that's a password to a door that opens another thing that just gives me a combination. It does feel a lot of these <laughs> things are just quite dry. It's just like, and that's like... <laughs> the, the reason for that is that they can't do the normal world building that they do because there is always a time pressure in these levels because you might be invaded by somebody. So you can't you can't provide Cole with the 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 means to sort of distract himself too much with with you know reading huge amounts of lore. I so I've turned off multiplayer invasions because it fucking sucked. <laughs> um, uh, both on both sides of it, I've tried I tried invading and I tried being invaded, and uh, both times I was immediately killed over and over again <laughs> with with no understanding of what happened, um, or or no understanding of what I could could have done differently. Um, so I've turned multiplayer invasions off. You still get AI invasions, but I found AI Juliana is very easy to deal with. It hasn't been a problem at all. Uh, the only time it was, well, th- this was still easy to deal with, but one time she just kind of broke. <laughs> she just, uh, mm-hmm. I found her, it was in the party level, and I was being very stealthy, so I was really worried about running into her because I was like, I don't want to have a, a loud firefight right now. And I I saw her on a balcony, and I was like, shit. So I headshotted her with my silenced pistol, and nothing happened emptied a whole clip into her, nothing happened, walked over. She's just frozen in space and she's immaterial, can't be interacted with or anything. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess you're staying there. And I cleared I cleared up the entire level at time because I was um uh, I didn't find the visionary early on. Um and so I was there for ages. She just that was her. That was there wasn't another Juliana somewhere. I thought it might be like a like an ability she has, because I know like she can switch identities with guards. So maybe she'd switch identity with guards. Maybe she had, but she wasn't anywhere else either. So <laughs> she never attacked me and I, I didn't kill her. But yeah, the, mm. I think the part I'm liking about that is not so much the, the clues themselves, but the strategy of, okay, well, if this is true and that is true, then the way I exploit this information is to do this. Like, um, mm. that I want these, it's getting your ducks in a row. It's, it's figuring out that, okay, I, I can make this happen, but does that fit with my other the other part of my plan, which is to do this and this? And if those two things are happening at the same time of day, I can't do I can't um, uh, you know do both. And so there's kind of a puzzle there to unpick, and I'm enjoying that process. Yeah, I'm getting more into it now that the the missions have got more substantial. I think I think it suffers uh, the opening. I think is pretty uh, a pretty terrible onboarding experience, um, both for the mechanics of the game, which are just unnecessarily convoluted i think with its system of upgrades and exactly how the looping works it really makes a meal of explaining that stuff but also i think because in the opening you it's really stop start you're constantly being uh, interrupted by tutorial prompts for one thing uh, even the ui has a tutorial which is uh, it's <laughs> uh, telling that that is necessary um but you know, you're shunted into a level, you spend maybe two to five minutes going somewhere, and then you complete your objective, which is just, oh, I picked up a note. 
Uh, and then you're like, oh yeah, you've got to leave now. Usually by the way you came in. Uh, and it just feels incredibly sort of, ah, well, the thing you were interested in was this level and getting to explore it. And it's, and although you can do that, the instruction is for you to leave. And I think, uh, now that it's sort of at, more at ease with its premise and it is allowing me to, uh, complete lengthier objectives, like I've just taken out the, my first visionary, it feels much more kind of rewarding, uh, uh, in an exploratory way. I still think though that I mean, it's, it's funny that, that this is obviously a reaction to, exactly as you say to the, the criticism of Dishonored way, you know, it was discouraging you to kill people, but it provided you with this amazing tool set to kill people. I really think they should make games where you don't kill people. <laughs> <at all. laughs> um, that was my problem with Prey is, is that um, it was, it was a fantastic space to explore. And I actually found all of the combat in Prey to be deeply, um, irksome and not at all interesting um and in this uh I, I am enjoying the combat but these the spaces that arcane builds are just so beautiful and rich and really kind of thoughtfully designed as as spaces in which people would live and and work and yet all you can do in these spaces is kill people in this game and yeah there are notes you can read and there are voice files you can play as per other games but there's so much less of that um, I think because of the threat of invasion means you can't really sort of just absorb any of the world they've built in the same kind of luxurious way that you could do in, in previous I don't think there's as much to the world. And it's certainly not like um, Karnaka or something in Dishonored, um, Dishonored 2, you know, it's, or Dunwall, Dishonored 1. Like it doesn't, this isn't a place with a history. I think, you know, it's wanting you to ask like, you know, this place doesn't have a history. What the heck's going on, you know? But I don't think it, I don't, I'm not finding it anything like as interesting as, as, as Dishonored's world. It's quite, um, it, it sort of does have a history, but it's mostly a very recent history. And it's also exactly. quite a, quite a sort of corporate slash military history. It's just like here, this organization moved in, then this organization moved in and it's being exploited in this way. Yeah. It's not a culture. Like it, it, I think, I think the other games kind of are interested, you know, they want you to immerse yourself in a culture and this doesn't. It wants you to immerse yourself in a mystery, and that, I think that's that's cool, that's fine. But I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose I'm just po- pointing out that there's, a, I think it's trying to do something different than than those other arcane games. Do yeah. like the voice for performances? Though. They are they're really up there. I think mm. Cole is great, and he has to be because you know you spend so much time with him. But the performances just are you know really dynamic it changes pitch and pace all the time and really sort of keeps you awake and paying attention to what he's saying i i think it's yeah that's a really characterful performance i also like juliana a lot as well and i think it's an impressive writing feat that they have a be a hectoring antagonist yeah. but unlike most hectoring antagonists you don't grind your teeth every time she's you know poking you and i think that is uh, a delicate balance that they have succeeded at i think the thing you're saying about um uh, wanting the non the non-violent version of this uh i think that's partly what was bothering me on the party level was was i could see this this beautiful hitman mission had been set up for me and i just thought it's kind of a shame that all i can do is just shoot everyone in the head like there isn't there aren't hitman affordances there aren't even um dishonored one affordances um it's just all i've got is a gun and their heads <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of i was read i was reading something by um I think it's by Jeremy Peel on uh, Rock Paper Shotgun about um, some of the uh, the 
he's been doing some invasions or experiencing some invasions, um, uh, playing multiplayer. Um, Julie, Julianne has an ability called Masquerade, which means that she can look like, um, one of the other standard enemies at any time. So ostensibly, if you're a cold player, you don't know who, which is Julianne and they can be therefore stalking you, except, <laughs> The cold player is probably just going to shoot everybody. <laughs> yeah, like, that was that was my first impression. I think it was Juliana. I'm like, great, I can I can dress as a guard, but I'm still look like his enemy. I don't look like his friend. He's still going to shoot me when he sees me. <laughs> yeah, I think Jeremy described it as disguising yourself as a pin in a bowling alley. Which is quite- <laughs> <laughs> he did, yes. <laughs> which I thought was really, yeah. Hmm. And because it obviously doesn't have any NPCs, because like, I thought, because when I first had, um, heard about Masquerade, I thought, oh wow, it's like that um, Assassin's Creed multiplayer um, mode where yeah. where you're pose, you can sort of turn into a member of, um, you know, like a, a crowd, somebody in the crowd. No. <laughs> and again, if you were trying to if you're trying to minimise kills of non-targets, like you are in Hitman, um, that that would also make a lot of sense. Hmm. Yeah, but you're not. Yeah, I've, so I, <laughs> I feel bad. I've griped a lot because I thought that uh, you guys are going to be or the positive ones, and I could just be the, the negative Nancy <laughs> griping about the stuff. But <laughs> now that you've also griped a lot, Marsh, it's going to feel like a bit of a pylon. Uh, but I haven't actually mentioned my I haven't mentioned my biggest problem, which is uh, the residuum system. Which mm-hmm. is I, so I like the, the concept, which is that most of what you gain in a run is temporary. You're going to lose it all when you die. And then there's this meta resource you gather, which lets you permanently um, uh, unlock stuff. And each thing has a kind of residuum price. Um, and the better a thing it is, the more residuum you need to be able to save it permanently to your arsenal. Um, and that's all cool. But when you you have three lives in each run, and when you die, uh, you lose all your residuum. Uh, but if you can get back to your body, you can pick it back up. Um, and also, if you kill a visionary, they'll give you a huge load of, of residuum, but it will be wherever they died. And this system completely screwed me. <laughs> I got, uh, I've been screwed by it twice now in the worst way, just where I've spent, you know, a two hour evening of playing the game. I've lost everything, everything I gained in it. Um, and because of the, re- if the residuum system didn't exist, I probably, I don't know, would have gone into it with a different mental attitude. But because it exists, you're thinking you're going to be able to save these things. So when you find something special, you're like, great, I've got enough. This is a cool item, a cool ability. Um, I had something like three really interesting, unique guns, three new powers. The powers of, I think there's only like eight of them in the game. Uh, maybe only seven, because I know there's one cult can't get. Um, and uh, I had three new ones I didn't have. And for once, I had a just crazy amount of residuum because I killed multiple visionaries and Juliana. Um, and uh, the last visionary that I was there to kill, um, uh, he. So it does a weird thing sometimes where it gives you a quest marker for a visionary, even if you are not supposed to know where they are. And <laughs> how accurate that is was a question mark for me. Um, and so I was one of the new powers I'd got is the one that lets you fling people. Um, and uh, it's a fun thing to use. And as I was creeping through, this was a party mission. I'd killed um, loads of people, uh, including the, the main visionary I was there to kill. And then there was another one kind of in the, the back courtyard, uh, or at least so the quest marker said. I was working my way through there. And I was on a sort of high ledge, went out into a courtyard and in a distant balcony, 
I could see the quest marker for my for the visionary was uh, through the building. Like I couldn't see, didn't have line of sight to him. But on the corner of the balcony, there was a presumably a guard, just uh, just an enemy of some kind. And so I tried fling on him. And I was very far away, so I didn't really expect it to work. So I thought this was a close-range power, but it did work, and it flung him into the abyss. And that turned out to be the visionary. <laughs> and uh, he just so he just fell off the level and died, but died just in hovering in space because it's just an out of bounds thing. If you've ever like fallen off a level in the, in video games, you know, you, at some point your body kind of hits something like this is an invisible floor there that kills you. Uh, he had hit that, and so his unique power, all of the residuum he had, and his unique weapon were all just off in the void there. And uh, that was terrible news. I thought the game would have some kind of insurance policy against that <laughs> to avoid like critical things becoming just 100% inaccessible. And because I was still uh, thinking there must be somewhere around this, it can't just be broken. Um, I crept towards the edge of the level um, and I was being incredibly careful uh, because I knew what the stakes were here. Um, and uh, I... I had blink, and so I'm looking for, is there an outcropping down there that I could just blink to and maybe grab this? Like, if there's just one little ledge, as long as it's a little bit above the death zone, maybe I can reach down and get the uh, the body. Didn't seem likely, because it's a pretty sheer cliff face. Um, but in my abundance of caution, I'm like, okay, I'm not going any closer to this edge. I'm safe here. What I'm going to do is use the lean function, because if you lean and press up on the thumbstick, you sort of lean forwards a little bit. Did that fucking fell off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> the lean caused me to fall off the cliff. Uh, and... If you fall off the cliff, guess what? Now my fucking body is also in the death zone that can never be recovered from. And that's everything I had from the whole evening's play. I hadn't saved anything until that point because until the last level, I didn't have that much that was worth saving. And I wanted to save all my residuum up for the stuff I was going to get on this level. I knew I was going to kill two visionaries, two big new abilities, two unique weapons at least, um, loads of cool stuff, saved it all up from the whole evening's play. And just, I had two lives left as well. So I respawned, but there's just nothing I can do. All of everything I've earned is in the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> and because i've been so thorough you know because when you die and respawn within a loop you get like i say you get three lives um you lose your residuum but you keep everything else so i had the abilities and stuff but there was no way to save them because i'd already i'd done such a thorough job of cleaning out the level i had all of the residuum it was possible to get when i died and so there's no way to get any more so i'm just like cursed to have all these cool items and not be able to save them that's dark souls oh tom yeah, so it's funny because it's it copies a bunch of stuff from roguelikes, um, and I love roguelikes, uh, and yet the reaction I'm having is what people who don't like roguelikes have to roguelikes, which is I can't believe you're just <laughs> going to say I've lost all that progress. I can't believe you're just going to let like throw that away for me, um, and especially in such a sort of like technical kind of way. Like it was in the level, I could see it. I just can't get to it because it's in this weird nonsense space that that kills you if you touch it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was very frustrating, and it did occur to me, like, this is probably what Dark Souls is like, <laughs> and that's why I don't like Dark Souls. <laughs> I'm willing to play it more and and, uh, and find out if I like it, but I'm not sure I do at the moment, if I'm honest. Yeah, that was um, that disaster for me was like two, three nights ago. Then I had another horrible disaster in which uh, there's just a real bullshit trap that even if you see it coming, they just they just cheat and, and say, no, no, you got caught. And that also, if you don't figure it out, um, leads to you your body being in a place that you can never recover from. Uh, so I lost everything again that, that time. And at that point, I was kind of thinking, maybe I'm just fucking done with this game. Um, but I persevered. And I played it again last night and I had actually a really good session and got 
a lot of the cool things that I I had lost twice over, <laughs> and now have permanently unlocked them. And I'm you know excited to to use these these new powers to take on some of the the bits that I haven't done yet. It is strange that there isn't there doesn't seem to be more hedging against that risk. Like I mean, if it was me, I just wouldn't have that lose residuum on death thing because I don't think that I don't think what it adds is worth what it takes away. And in fact massively escalating the stakes in a game like this i don't think is that positive anyway because i when i finally did uh go back to this morning target and uh take them out uh this is the run on which i got killed by a skylight um <laughs> uh, i survived that but because i because i've been killed by a skylight um i was on my last life when i got to a, her hideout and so i was there to get her powers is what i particularly wanted um and i got that took her weapon and she has this this big layer and it's always been a bit of a mystery to me as to what's going on there it feels like there's a whole scripted scene there that i've missed every time because i've been in open combat and so there was lots to explore but because the stakes were so high i'm on my last life and i've got all this residuum and all this stuff and i'm going to lose it on death um i just didn't explore it because like there's poison gas everywhere at any point i could just be instantly killed and lose all of this so i guess i'm just not going to investigate i guess i'm just going to leave the level to to you know be safe and so raising the stakes that high is actually not mm. that good of a thing i don't think in this kind of game yeah it doesn't feel like the most kind of exciting interesting risk reward it just feels a bit debilitating really voice acting is nice though <laughs> yep <laughs> i'm only i'm i've only finished my first day so i'm 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 feeling good i've enjoyed it but um maybe next week i'll have had more experience <laughs> And then I can jump in with the boots. What um, powers are you using, Marty? Um, I'm not far enough in it to have uh, had many. Uh, so uh, I have the the sort of the double jump and uh, the blink maneuver. But the blink maneuver, as soon as I was given it, was taken away from me in a seemingly unavoidable death sequence. But pre prior to the point at which you even learn how residium works. Oh, shit. Oh. So I don't know. So it's interesting here you talk about the early game because I think I must have approached it in a very different order, which maybe is the reason why I found it underwhelming. But I didn't. it didn't feel to me that I could have approached it in any other order. Well, should, we, is... should we put a spoiler up and say, because I want to understand what, what happened to you because, uh, yeah. Well, it's happened to me a bunch of times where um, it's sort of introduced things to you, like getting new weapons, and then it's taken them away by killing you in unavoidable ways. I haven't died in what? combat once yet. But what, in but, what um, way did you die after that? Um, the the first visionary, uh, when you Im imbue yourself with residium for the first time, that process oh, kills you. I see. I see. Um, and it's it's slightly frustrating because the that the process of killing that visionary gives you like the mother load of all trinkets you know just a huge number of things which potentially mm. can can really change your experience and it's just like oh you like them oh psych take them away oh is this sort of a metroid style kind of this is what you you'll spend the game kind of earning back yeah and also the first time you encounter juliana who drops a a power um uh, it immediately goes to the night sequence and then it's the next day and you've lost it I see. Um, yeah. And it's just uh, weird that that is your introduction to it. I know that they need to uh, introduce you to the idea of losing your stuff, but but also they need to introduce the idea of stuff. <laughs> like I would, I would like to have explored what it was like to have that power for more than the minute that it took me to exit the level. You know. So, so was that where you got Blink from? Was it Juliana? 
Yes, the first encounter right. with Juliana. I think I got something different. I think I got like the rage power or something. Oh, interesting. Um, I got I got bling too. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong. I mean, for me, I I am too. You know, I can't really. Powers are nice and things, but I've got too much else on my mind because I've got this new space to explore. Um, I'm still kind of getting to grips with the weapons and whether I should be firing them a lot or whether I should be hiding away. Um, you know, you're quite, I feel quite agile as it is. I don't really feel that I need blink. I barely use blink actually after getting it for the remainder of that day because, because just because there was lots of places I could already get to, it was only saving me a, you know, a few seconds of going the long way around in the, in, in terms of where I was going and things, you know, for, for that, for that period, I had enough to go on that I didn't, I haven't really felt that I need powers to kind of, to juice stuff up yet. I mean, I, I know I will do in the future and I'm keen to get that back if I lose it sort of thing. But um, yeah, I, I don't, there's so much going on at that point because it's still, in, I haven't got to the residuum stuff and that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know how I'll feel about it when I get to it. Because you only get two slots for powers and I was actually thinking that Blink was so essential that it was almost like you only get one slot for powers. Because mm. um, I've got, the one I liked other than Blink was um, a stealthy one, just makes you mostly invisible. And it's been a nice, like a kind of stealth cushion where if I'm, if I'm sneaking through somewhere and somebody happens to start seeing me, I can just turn that on. And then uh, that gives me a little bit of time to figure out, wait, who is that? Where are they seeing me from? And where can I go now? Um, but because I like that so much now that I'm unlocking new powers, I'm like, uh, well, this is, I do want to try these the other fun ones, but I kind of need both the stealth one and I need Blink. So there isn't really any room for them. <laughs> <laughs> it might get you out of your sniping from a distance right. yeah but i mean like yeah the stealthy approach that's that's quite repetitive is one thing but then also the action approach has been quite repetitive too in terms of like yeah. i just hide in a corner and mow everyone down as they come in yeah they do they do like to kind of walk out in front of your gun fire i had a um the first time that you that, that you encountered julianne in um Cole's apartment or you know you talk to her and then she attacks you and you're at that point you're in his apartment I'd set up a um a turret I thought I've I'm going to set up a turret in here looking out through my the, the way I got in just in case if enemies come because I think something's going to happen after the cutscene at this point in the story <laughs> and lo and behold it did and my turret killed her <laughs> but like <laughs> everybody was so happy just to walk in front of this bullets mowing them down <laughs> oh yeah uh, I should have mentioned the turrets because I fucking love them love to hack turrets love to carry them around with me love to set up death zones and lure everyone into them it's great <laughs> well I was I was going to say that um the uh the, the 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 turrets and the monitors the cctv things they're just a really minor inconvenience <laughs> they just mean that i've got to stop and yeah, do especially the, the cameras hold I down really the hack know. thing yeah like i assumed that it would be you know oh uh, you know you'd have five seconds or something to get past but no no they're hacked forever it was just a kind of like yeah. a, a minor inconvenience and they're kind of irrelevant completely irrelevant that- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the cameras don't even cause security systems to aggro against your enemy once you've hacked them, right? No. No. Yeah. They just don't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you can also just shoot them. Oh, really? It's funny that um, uh, hiding in a hole and letting every enemy come to me and then I shoot each one as they come in is really boring to me. 
but setting up a turret in a hole and then luring everyone into the turret shoots them is fucking amazing. So satisfying. Well, it's because you don't have to do it, you see. You can stand there <laughs> yeah. motionless just like one of automation. It's so much more interesting. <laughs> Maybe I can get like an auto hotkey routine to just click my mouse when, a, when an enemy walks in the room and it'll feel just as good. <laughs> I kind of wonder if the game would be better if you did lose all of your weapons and you never had any way of keeping them. Because uh, at least that way you would be forced to use different guns each each run when you went to a new place and the same equipment wasn't available to you. Because so I'm really struggling to put down that, that sort of the, the silenced nail gun thing. Um, oh, yeah. That just, that just seems to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do questions? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad someone said it. <laughs> We have but one question this week. Uh, it comes from Paddy from Dublin, uh, who writes to us to ask, do you know of games that were, re- that were designed or playtested during the initial prototype and development phase with pen and paper? Could tactical breach wizards be played by moving paper icons on a paper grid? Or do you need that stupid game properly running to find the fun? I put the stupid in there. He didn't, in- <laughs> he didn't insult your game. I did. Thanks. <laughs> Can any CCGs have worked well as printed card games, or does it get too unwieldy for a human to keep track of all the rules and statuses in effect? Thanks, Paddy from Dublin. It's so fortunate that you're here this week, Tom. Yeah, um, I didn't. Well, uh, I didn't paper prototype Tactical Breach Wizards, but I did at one point um, do sort of the equivalent of that on an iPad, where I, I'd drawn out a map and I. I put little wizard sprites on different layers and like drag them around to, to as if moving them in, in the game um, to kind of uh, as a cheap way of, of sort of seeing like, if you had an ability that did this, like if you had an ability where like you can charge an enemy and when you hit them, they move back the number of spaces that you traveled. How does that play out in a map of this size? You know, does this, um, mm. does this work on an eight by eight grid or is it, or does it never really come into effect? Um, and some other stuff like that i usually find that it's not worth it because it's not that easy i mean that was already the easier version uh versus um cutting things out on paper and, and moving them around um and i think that you're gonna have to build the basics of that system anyway and so once you've done that building the individual abilities to test those um is not very hard and you know if the grid size is wrong i can change the grid size with like you know a single uh, change to a line of code um so i usually find that the things that you need to that you want to iterate on are not that hard to do uh in code and building the code in the first place is a lot of work but you're probably gonna have to do that anyway and the kinds of the big decisions that it would have been really useful to figure out before i started making the game uh just like how does time work <laughs> um because for a long time I was planning to have simultaneous execution where you all act at once. Um, and that ended up not really working, just being too hard to communicate to the player and too many edge cases, too many surprising consequences that, that surprising in a bad way. We thought, why did that happen? Um, but there was no way to find that out with a paper prototype, I don't think, <laughs> because moving all the paper simultaneously would be difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it, it so often comes down to nitty gritty things like that. Like, you know, on paper that, that system sounded fine. And then in practice, you look at it and think, God, this is just confusing. 
and okay, we can create some UI to spell it out and list who's going to act in in um, uh, when, but it's always going to be UI that isn't the game that you're going to have to look at instead. Um, and I also tried interleaved turns, which is what um, XCOM Chimera Squad does, where uh, each person has their place in the turn order, not rather than it being team one, then team two. It's it's this person, then that person, then this person, then that person. Um, and again, I found that just needing that UI on screen just meant all the really important information was living in the UI and not just visually on, on the map. Uh, and again, I don't really think I could have figured that out with paper prototyping. Um, but I know a lot of people do, do use it. Um, and in terms of CCGs, I think it's interesting um, that... Uh, playing Magic is really interesting coming from a digital card game perspective because I was surprised how much Magic has mechanics that just don't really work in physical card games. <laughs> like it keeps there's all these cards that just oh this creates a one one orc or something. You're like why where do I get the one one orc? Oh I've just got to put like some tokens on the I've just got to find like some pennies or something and put them on the table. <laughs> like it doesn't have the the material for you to do that. It just you've got to figure something out just to uh, keep note of it and that that thing can potentially get buffed. It could get more health or more damage or something and you'd have to just track that in whatever way you see fit. <laughs> um, yes, it gets all, so unwieldy, doesn't it? That's all stuff that I would have said. Oh, you obviously can't do that in a physical card game, but if you're making a digital one, that's great because then you know the, the computer can keep track of all that stuff for you. But no, apparently people have been happily doing it in physical card games for a long time. So I think um, that there's, I think there's part of Magic's appeal in some ways is is the sort of um, is you know if if it was rendered by a computer like these kind of weird chain effects and things you get in in Magic rendered on a computer, it kind of lacks some of the magic because it's got this emergent sort of feel where because you're having to analyze it yourself, you know, minute by minute on the, on your tabletop, you know, each chain reaction bleeding to this. And now that means this, and now that means that creates these moments of cool drama and things that, yeah, I think you lose when you get, get it onto a computer, which is, yeah, I, I keep wondering about like, why do, why, why is it still a very, very popular game when you could just play it on your PC? And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's it's actually sort of building out those kind of mad moments. Yeah, it's interesting because I can also see the other the other perspective, which is Slay the Spire. I feel like most mechanics in Slay the Spire you could perfect, do perfectly well with paper. I was thinking about like the the defects orbs. He's got all these orbs around him, and you can have you know up to twelve of them. I think it is uh, each one can both has to reflect your current focus value. So if your focus goes up, all of their damage goes up or all of their protection goes up or whatever. But also some orbs have individual stats as well. Like a dark orb can be kind of existed for a long time and therefore have a lot of um, mm. uh, damage stored up in it, whereas another dark orb doesn't. And representing all of that with tokens, you could definitely do it. But then going, leaning into that build where like I just want loads and loads of orbs and I want to charge them all up in the, all these different ways, uh, I feel like that build would just be a pain in the ass to do. You'd be thinking like, oh, I could do that, but it's going to be a lot of moving tokens around and they're going to fall off. And <laughs> it's just going to be But really you're also doing like 10 times, like you're in a, what in a game, like in a single battle, how many rounds do they tend to go? Like 10, 15, 20? You're kind of moving these little tokens around kind of 20 times, slowly getting yeah. more and more of them every time. Yeah, and stuff like um, zero cost decks where you're you're getting all these cards that don't cost you anything. One of the pleasures of that in Slay the Spire is you're just flinging those cards out. You're just like, claw, claw, claw. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, 
the, the fact that you're playing them so fast is uh is part of the fun of it and uh also they're being created at, at, during the um the match in some cases um and that would be tricky to do with paper and so yeah i definitely think like the feel of different decks but would be different between paper and digital but you might be right that like a lot of these a lot of these difficult cases where it would get really awkward with paper are the cases where your deck has got a kind of out of control and crazy and mm. maybe just knowing that how crazy it is and how powerful it is would would make the busy work um uh more fun it would be like okay i'm okay i'm having to do a lot of work here but it's because my deck is insane yeah and i think also like a computer doesn't quite know how to, to deliver moments of kind of like drama where you know you've put this card down and you put that card down and the other player has realized that that if they've got the third card then they're in real trouble and and you know everybody's waiting for that moment and they're kind of drawing on suspense like the magic the gathering online that's what it's called isn't it the one that's um the, the leading one at the moment can't it's called anyway um that game does do a little bit of is able to to know how to do little doof sounds for particularly strong <laughs> cards and kind of you know and little physics effects and things but it can't do the same moments of drama that two players just holding bits of paper can do yeah one thing i could see it working really well for actually is like a meta layer like a, a campaign map or something if you're making an rts mm. um and you have an idea for how you want conquering territories and stuff to work you could quite happily lay that out on paper and then play it where each time you invade a territory, you go play your actual, you know, digital RTS that you've partly built. Um, and the results of that, you then record on your big paper map of what the campaign screen is going to look like. Hmm. And that actually would be easier than, than building a campaign screen because that's a, that's a case where the whole system isn't built and isn't core to your game and might not need to be built. You know, maybe you don't want to do a thing where it's all these big contiguous territories across a whole country. Maybe you want something where it's more like a grid um, or uh, an empty field where you're building buildings or something like that. Um, I know actually Into the Breach went through loads of iterations of its of its strategy map um, and it landed on something that's, that's very simple compared to a lot of things they tried. Um, and I bet those are things that you could test on paper. Yeah. I think that's all we've got time for this evening uh, in this episode. Um, you can hang out with us and our community on our Discord channel. You can find the link for our Discord channel uh, on our website at creatorcrowbar.com. Um, we do recommend that you go because then if you do go to our Discord channel and join it, you'll manage to meet and, and interact with a series of very nice people uh, who listen to our pod and have cool views and things it's a nice community um if you have a question for a future episode send to us at questions at creatingcrowbar.com um we're also asking at the moment for um ideas that you might have about sort of spicing up this element or that little element of uh, the show because um we're kind of thinking about new formats and, and things not scary stuff not at all but um <laughs> you know just we don't get as many questions as we used to because I think we've done all of the questions. Um, so <laughs> if you have ideas for, for interactive elements uh, in this final section of the show, uh, yeah, ping it to us at questions at Creighton Crowbar. Uh, we are on Twitter at Creighton Crowbar. You can also listen to the show on YouTube where you'll also find our various spin-off projects. Uh, the show 
uh, is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to find out more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, visit patreon.com slash crate and crowbar. Okay. um, Yes, I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Tom Francis. I've been Marsh Davis. Thanks. 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 Thanks.